Hello, friends and folks, and welcome back to another playlist podcast from Scanline Media. I'm Six Detmar. I'm Jennifer Uncle. I'm Curie Page. And uh, we're here just for a little roundup of uh, what we've been playing recently. Uh, it's been a it's been a good while since we did one of these, and uh, you know there have been games to play. Um, I don't know that there's any been anything super incredible, but <laughs> uh, maybe maybe I'll be proven wrong on that one. Uh, who 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 wants to share with the class first? <laughs> um, I guess I can go first. Um, let's see. So is it detective time? Is it Famicom detective time? <laughs> Famicom detective time. Yeah. Yeah. Jen's <laughs> been on a real detective kick lately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Six was trying to find stuff for us to like go through and cover recently because uh, it's been kind of a dry spell in games lately. So. A V suggested that I check out Famicom Detective Club, uh, specifically the prequel, uh, "The Girl Who Stands Behind." And uh, wait, yeah. hold on. I thought the I thought it was the other one that was first. It, the other one is first, but the the girl who stands behind got released as a prequel. Oh, okay. Sorry, yeah. didn't mean to interrupt. Except I totally did because that's what I do. <laughs> yeah, um, these games initially came out on the Famicom Disk System, which. Um, we never stall over here. It's basically, instead of using the NES cartridges, they used a floppy disk sort of system that held more information. Um, and uh, yeah, initially this these games came out in two parts, and uh, each one was like a double-sided disk. So these games already, before they remake, were like longer than you would expect for something from the NES era. But... Uh, mm. Yeah, you basically play a high school-aged uh, boy who ends up getting br- taken in. Because um, both your parents are dead by the beginning of the game. So another det- a detective basically sees you in the street and is like, Hey, I'd be willing to give you a place to live and uh, you could help up with the business. So yeah, you live in this detective agency and uh, you're basically... Solving the murder mystery of this uh, young high school girl who washed up um, on the riverbanks, uh, had clear strangulation marks, and uh, when you go over to her high school, they mention the legend of the girl who stands behind, which is basically a blood-soaked girl that will occasionally appear behind students when they're alone. And, uh, like... It holds up surprisingly well, like, sort of in a similar way to when we covered Portopia's serial murder case for a novel not new. Like, mm-hmm. there's still something pretty compelling about what's going on here, even if, like, it's still working within NES-style adventure game language. So you have, like, a series of six or seven actions you can take, and you basically have to spam each one a number of times before the game lets you progress. Um yeah, there's not really much of a sense that you're deducing because of that, just because occasionally it'll need you to ask someone the same dialogue question twice, and then it expects you to click the think icon so your character thinks it through, and then that opens up another dialogue option, that kind of thing. But uh, Yeah, it seems like for Famicom Detective called these remakes, um, they have kept the structure of those old Famicom games. Um, for better and for worse, it seems. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's 
it's not that big of a frustration for me anyway, just because, like, it's not a super long game, even if it's longer than a normal NES game. And, uh, I, again, since I played Portopia, I'm somewhat familiar with just throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks in this sort of quick format. But, uh, yeah, mages have done a pretty good job of, like, updating the game with new visuals and uh, music and voice acting. Like, uh, Megumi Ogata plays the protagonist, and uh, also, like, the game still manages to be incredibly creepy. Like, this is a ghost story of sorts, so occasionally you'll have moments where you're questioning someone behind a building um, about something that, like, uh, you're trying to keep secret, and you're doing this from a first-person perspective and you'll just see someone wide-eyed around the corner, like, paying attention to what's happening. And that's kind of creepy. And they they have a bunch of creepy moments like that that uh, pay off well. Um, it's also worth mentioning that this was written by Yoshio Sakamoto, who this was basically his first time uh, doing scenario direction for a game. And... He would go on to work on Metroid, Metroid Fusion, all sorts of other games like that. So Very similar titles. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Much like Portopia's serial murder case uh, was like a feather in Yuji Horii's cap before he made Dragon Quest. Uh, um, Yoshio Sakamoto, who took inspiration from Portopia, um, went on to do much more recognizable games in the future. So how much inspiration? And by that I mean... Uh, how much pixel hunting are you doing? Um, not that much pixel hunting, really. Like, occasionally you'll have to, like, use the magnifying glass for a few things, but for the most part, it's less pixel hunting and more brute force dialogue options until things move forward sometimes. There was a little mm. bit. I watched Jen play, like, the first couple of... Well, actually, maybe the first hour of this game or so. And we both kind of ran into a problem where, so you see the, you get to investigate the dead body of the girl, right? And mm -hmm. when you hover over things that are selectable, a little dialogue box pops up, right? But it sure. turns out there are things that you can select that don't get that pop up. Um, like, because the way to advance the puzzle was you had to move the girl's hair out of the way to see the clear strangulation marks on her neck. So hmm. that was a little, that seems like a little frustrating, but I don't know. Jen, does it like, does it become a little bit more natural as the game moves on? I'd say so, yeah. And the strength of the characters uh, helped out a lot too, like... <laughs> At some point, you run into a Boncho-style high school student who is missing eyebrows, and uh, he initially seems like he's going to give you trouble, but then you find out that he's one of the kindest, most empathetic person people at that school, and uh, you get into some silly shenanigans with him, and it's like, oh, okay, this this is kind of fun. Hmm. I remember with, with uh, Portopia, um, I feel like we hit points in it, like... Even we had a we had a guide, right? Um, but even with that, there were points in the guide where it was like, "Hey, if you get stuck here, I don't know. This happened to me once too. Just try these things. I'm not really sure what's going on." Um, 
And that sort of speaks to, I mean, partially it speaks to the fact that that game was never properly released in English, so there wasn't that much investment in people making a, a proper walkthrough for it. But I think one of the things that plagues that generation of adventure game is a disconnect between cause and effect. Yeah, like, it's it's difficult to convey to players, like, you just need to continuously press the same dialogue option to get everything out of them for this particular thing to move forward. Um, unless you play around with it a few times and realize, okay, this is how it works. And uh, even then, like, there are moments where you don't necessarily think to select the think option after asking a few questions because... It's not a it's not a hint option. It would be an interesting hint option. It's usually just this moves something forward, or you'll just see three dots as the character size. Hmm. Yeah. It just reminds me a little bit of this is something that later uh Japanese um adventure games would improve upon. Like I can very clearly see the roots of like the ace attorney games in famicom detective club and i think that one of the things that ace attorney did was once you exhausted a dialogue option they give you a little check mark like next to Mm -hmm. the dialogue option i don't know if this was true in the gba release but in the ds releases which is what most people played i think um when you selected an option, it would give you a little check mark to indicate to you, like, okay, I have completely asked all the questions in this, like, subset. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and it would have been, I think it would have been nice if this remake, like, had taken advantage of the fact that it is a remake and can add some quality of life things to it. Uh, that being said, I do think it's kind of admirable that they are just straight up adapting um, Famicom Detective Club, warts and all. Yeah, that's a it's it's. I'm sure it was very tempting to make more changes to it, and you know, I I think I am on the side of they probably should have, but there's a there's a you know a discipline to deciding not to do that that you you kind of have to respect. Yeah, totally, and. I do wish they had an option to just, like, play the originals with the original graphics and stuff, but uh, a small bone they throw, folks, is that you can switch the soundtracks over to the originals. Like, uh, for The Missing Air, you can basically choose between Famicom and the remaster, and then for The Girl Who Stands Behind, it's Famicom and the uh, Super Nintendo, because that actually got a re-release on better hardware at some point in the 90s. But uh, it seems like it definitely feels like a interesting piece to, you know, investigate, as it were, to see the roots of Japanese visual novel or Japanese adventure game um, methodologies and formulas, like kind of are born from Famicom Detective Club. Mm-hmm. Um. Again, I only I only kind of peeked over Jen's shoulder while she was playing it, but there are some things I really like about Famicom Detective Club. It has a really clean look. I like how all the characters animate. They use um, live 2D rigs 
to uh, animate the characters and they give them like subtle facial movements and um, nice big expressive sprites. Like it just looks really nice. Yeah, well, the the brief bits I saw in trailers looked a lot like the like the most recent Ace Attorney games in that sort of like that sort of style. Because for a while they were just sort of upresing those those DS sprites essentially, and eventually they switched to full on, just like you know, hand drawn. Um, well, probably not hand drawn, probably digitally drawn. But yeah, you know what I mean? right. <laughs> I, yeah, I yeah. think for the yeah, I, I think for the most recent uh, Ace Attorney remaster that they did. Um, that released on Switch, it was a situation where they took the drawings that the pixels were based on and used them. Mm-hmm. Right, like they had used like high high resolution scans to um like re recreate the art of it. Um, mm-hmm. but they do a little bit more than just recreate the art of um Famicom Detective Club. Like, like I said, with the live two D rigging, you can get like just subtle movements and you know the character is breathing and you know cocking an eyebrow and things like that and it looks a little stilted but then again i watch a bunch of vtubers and it looks fine <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i i will say it was kind of uh what was gonna say? kind of jarring well kind of i i was let me think for a moment. Oh yeah, I will say it was kind of surprising that uh, the game manages to be that gory and still get a T rating. Because like, you see some dead bodies in this, and like, they ah, are stabbed fine. and it's fine. Like it's We're fine. past the point of thinking the ESA has any integrity, right? Yeah. We got over that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, just this. This is a pretty grim game at points, which. Uh, it's also kind of surprising considering it came out in like on the NES originally, but yeah. And it's a Nintendo game. That too. So, yeah. Yeah, a couple surprises there, but also, I don't Yeah, I like I don't know. I think it's actually from before Nintendo was really cultivating such a family-friendly personality, so it actually makes more sense. Yeah, like this was Nintendo you know, after years of just being like a toy maker, you know, and they had just broken into the arcade market and the home console market. And they were like, what do we got? We got to do something. Mm-hmm. Did this come out before or after Portopia serial case? Actually? Oh, after. Uh, it's after. A, yeah, it's it's after. I mean, Portopia yeah. was Portopia wasn't the disk system. It was original NES stuff. And yeah. Right. And was Portopia like popular? Because it seems like it. That's yeah. a good question. I, I, I think so, but I don't, you know. Yeah, Portopia it was definitely popular and influential, like, uh, both for consumers and people who made games. Like, Hideo Kojima hid code from Portopia Serial Murder Case in MGS5. Like, Well, that doesn't necessarily make something popular. It just makes Hideo Kojima a, 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 a weirdo. Wacko. <laughs> yeah. it, it was popular enough that Spiked Chunsoft has released uh, a few remakes for mobile and stuff like that of that game, so... Oh, okay. It has a it has an audience. Sure. I, I guess um I guess it was just my question was like it was clearly it was clearly enough for Nintendo to catch wind of what like I think it was just Spike at the time, like was yeah. doing Well it was actually just Tunesoft at the time. Oh, okay. I forget which company it was. Um Yeah, Tunesoft putting out this 
adventure game and they were like we gotta do something to match that Mm -hmm. oh and just to tie back what we've been talking about for the past week with podcasts i just found out another influence from this stuff and especially the missing air was uh the inugami curse book that i'm reading by the um person who wrote all those detective novels that we were talking about earlier um the kendaichi stuff yeah the kendaichi it was inspired by that as well sure like, if you're a mystery writer, you're going to be inspired by, you know, the contemporaries of your time, you know? Or not contemporaries. Yeah, that what book... am I looking for? Okay, hold on. The classics. You... Like, that the was classics. a 1946 book. Yeah, okay. The not... canon of, of your era, you know? Sure. So. And it's like, at that point, the Kendaichi novels, I guess, have been canonized as, like, really great detective works. And it's like, well, let's draw inspiration from this. It'd be like, if it's your first, you know, if you're writing your first mystery, you know, and you're in the West, like, you're probably going to draw inspiration from Sherlock Holmes or Agatha Christie. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for they sure. They both suck. Well, no, Sherlock Holmes is all right. Agatha Christie, but not <laughs> Yep. <a fan. laughs> Agatha Christie as a person, pretty terrible. And also, I just don't appreciate most of her, her writing, but that's, you know, anyway. Isn't the entirety of Umineko basically saying Agatha Christie is a hack? Um, it's... <laughs> it, it it would take a lot of time to get into it exactly, but Umineko's main beef is with a author named S.S. Van Dyne who put out rules for mystery stories that you cannot break at any cost. And the people who made Umineko spend like over a hundred hours breaking every rule that you supposedly cannot break. Jen, I love the fact that you give very genuine answers to like very stupid questions that I ask. <laughs> I try. I, re- I appreciate that about you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm definitely going to pick up the missing air next month just so that I can check that one out as well, because I really liked what I played of the girl who stands behind and complete seemed- your collection. Yeah, and it seems like even though these are, what, $40 games, like, you get a discount if you buy the second one, right? Yeah, it ultimately comes out to, like, 60 bucks if you're getting both of them. And uh, yeah. if you just get one of them, they give you a discount on the other one at a later date to purchase it and still have it add up to 60 Okay. That's all right. That's a, that's a decent system. Yeah. yeah. And it took me around uh, eight to nine hours for this one. And I hear the, sa- the same can be said about the other one. So it's like 60 bucks for 20 hours. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've also been spending some time with a Nintendo game. I've been playing the uh, Switch re-release of Miitopia. Right. Yes, Miitopia, which was originally a 3DS game. Correct. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, they. It seems like doing my reading. It seems like they didn't do very much to this port. Um, but that's fine. I know it's a. It's a very. Um, it's interesting to see Nintendo take a stab at a JRPG. Obviously, they do the Paper Mario games, but this is a very different approach. Um, this is a game. Kind of about grinding, I guess. Okay. Um, so, 
Well, let me give you an example, right? So, sure. first off, the basic premise is this is a game that's a like a generic fantasy story, but uh, all the characters are me's that you create, and the idea is like, hey, put your friends and family in here, and oh no, the the dark lord is Steve, and oh no, the the mystical sage that rescues you is Pam from work, and you know whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that part's been that part's been fine. Um. But going off of that premise, what they do mechanically with the game, um, I mean, it's the tone is is very silly. It's very clearly like the game when it released on 3DS had the ability to import data from Tomodachi Life. It's very much tonally of a piece with Tomodachi Life. Um, and so the you want to okay, let's say you want to go do some 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 questing, right? Sure, I want to go on a quest. You uh you you pick your party, and uh. As far as I can tell, I I have yet to reach a point where I understand why I have the option to pick my party because it's just like, hey, do you want to pick all of your party members or not? And I'm like, why would I not pick everyone? Um, so, so far that mechanic doesn't exactly make sense to me, but I'm sure it'll pay off eventually. <laughs> um, and you, you pick, you go to the world map and you pick an area and then it just cuts to your characters are walking and they're chatting. And, like, every X number of steps they take, there's a chance for a thing to occur, a random battle, or for them to find an item, or for a chest, or for a fork in the road. And it just, like, you are not touching the controller while this happens. You set the controller down, and their characters are just jogging along and making inane small chat that often feels like it isn't related to what the other person just said. There's a lot of one person saying like, I'm tired. And the other person saying like, you know, like let's eat. It's like those statements aren't related to each other. Um, even though they're paired as though it was call and response. And then a battle starts. And again, this could change. I'm fairly early on so far. I only control one of the characters, the other two, the other two, cause I have three so far just do whatever they want and also they have personalities and this can lead to some annoying shit okay such as i love our friend lee Mm -hmm. friend of the show lee the mage in metopia is a useless little shit (laughs) i gave him the cautious personality because lee is a cautious person that's accurate what this means is like 90% of the time when Lee's turn comes up in battle, Lee goes, hold on a sec, and skips his turn. What? I think the implication is that it makes his next hit stronger, not noticeably, and it has fucked me on more than one occasion. <laughs> or uh, you, Jen, are my <laughs> thief, and I uh, gave you the kind personality, and boy, I regret that. I should have made you an asshole because we had these <laughs> monsters on the ropes and then you were like, hey, you've had a rough time. Why don't you leave? And the monsters were like, yeah, that's fair. And I didn't get any fucking XP. Oh, no. <laughs> so I just like, it's interesting. I want to keep going to see what it's doing because it feels like, you know, classic Nintendo. I'm sure they're still very slowly rolling out mechanics, you know, the first 40 hours of the game or tutorial or whatever the fuck, right? Um, Because they don't trust anyone to have a brain. Sure. Um, But I don't... The choices I've seen so far, 
it's like this is interesting because I haven't seen other people make these changes. But it also feels like a lot of these ones, people would have ma- wouldn't have made these choices because if someone suggested it, they would have said, are you out of your mind? No, that sucks. So I don't know what this game is doing. It feels like to me, it's so weird to me that they are porting this to the Switch that this is just, the Switch does not have a robust meme maker in the same way that the three or as integrated of a me maker as um the 3ds and Wii had right mm, mm-hmm. and i feel like the appeal like there is something to be said about going you know launching a new game of metopia and being like okay i get to make 20 people or however many it is right mm-hmm. but i imagine a lot of the fun is importing these that you get from street passing or on your friends list, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, one thing they did do, I mean, first of all, they do have Mies. If someone, if other friends of yours have Metopia, you could get their Mies that way, right? But it's, I, I have so far not found that to be a very useful resource. Um, but also they have, like, uh, whenever you pick a role, they have, like, a database of, like, the most it seems like, again, Nintendo, vague wording, I'm kind of having to read between the lines to figure out what exactly this is, of, like, some of the most popular picks on the 3DS. Because it does specifically say these were created on the 3DS. And so, like, I have one where it's like, oh, I have to create four Castle Knights. And I'm like, I don't give a shit about these Castle Knights. And so I could, like, I could create one. I could try and create one using a template or whatever or, you know, check my friends list and find out that I can't get anything from my friends list. Or I can go to the, like, the, like, popular one and find, like, seven versions of Waluigi uh, because it is mostly just the same characters over and over, uh, people having slightly different interpretations of Sans Undertale, Waluigi, Knuckles, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, and then the occasional one sprinkled in like a Gordon Ramsay or, you know, like no Biden, which I guess is a, a blessing also because I guess it was 3DS back then. No one gave a shit about Joe Biden. Yeah. yeah. Also, um, it's worth mentioning that, uh, one of the developers behind this Grezzo, um, also was involved in like Street Pass Plaza. So, mm. yeah, like it feels like. Metopia to me feels like a game that is that was like a little too big to just be a free game or a cheap game that you added to your 3ds mm-hmm. like they were clearly going for something but I don't know it, it seems like it's it just like when they made the announcement of like oh we're bringing Metopia to the switch I was like okay all right I guess this was like easy for you to do or something. Not only are we bringing it to the Switch, we're making it $10 more expensive. And I guess I very foolishly fell for it and was like, oh, I mean, if you're if you're bringing it to the Switch and you're raising the price and stuff, you must have, this must really, I must have really missed a gem here. Um, and you don't know, maybe it'll get there. I don't, you know, I certainly don't hate it. I just don't get it- why it exists. Like, the combat so far is at a depth where I'm not really sure why it's not a, like, a free-to-play game? Where I send my heroes out and then check in on the results? I don't really know why I have to press buttons, because it's really not engaging. <laughs> I 
think I saw a screenshot at one point is like later in the game on the 3DS version, you had like a grid or something that you had to deal with, but hmm. I don't know. It is it at least fun to, you know, see your friends, me's like running around and doing stuff like is that a, because that to me was always the appeal of the me stuff on the 3DS was like, oh, I'm growing flowers and it's all my friends or strangers I met at a con, you know, just, um, you know, like watering flowers and like going on races and stuff like that. Like, does it at least capture in some way that feeling of, you know, you and your digital friends on an adventure? I mean, if you're going to say in some way, I can easily agree. I do think the implementation is a mess. Um... They have you create people as you go, right? Which makes sense. You end up having to create a lot of characters. Um, Even as early on as I am, I've created, I don't know, maybe 20 characters. Mm -hmm. And I still have a lot to go, I'm sure. Um, And the problem is, since you're creating them as you go, you don't know what, like, the game doesn't say up front, hey, create your party members, and then you create NPCs as you go. You just create characters as they're about to enter the scene. And so I ended up using some friends that I would like to see a lot more of as what turned out to be, like, starter village NPCs that I'll just never fucking see again. Sorry, Kyrie. Well, Um, it's fine. It's fine. And there's no way to repurpose it. And so I have the very odd situation where, uh, Jen, you are, of course, uh, Kyrie's rowdy child in the starter town. (laughs) But you're also my thief. I have you in the game twice because I was like, I don't want that to be the last time I ever see Jen. I'm going to just put my friends back in. And if I had a way to like go into the menu and be like, hey, can we just can we just retcon who that starter village is? But I don't think I can do that. And so I don't know. I've just decided it's a future trunk situation, but uh, I don't know how many future trunks is I can have running around (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, before you break something in the time space continuum. It's or just me. break my connection to anything that's happening. <laughs> yeah, at a certain point, it just seems like I've, you know, like, oh, I've remade my friend, like, five times in this game. Like, mm-hmm. um, or, or again, with those, with those castle guards, it's like, okay, I mean, I know that these NPCs don't matter at all. Sure, this one can be Wario. I don't fucking care. Get me past this screen. Oh, the amiibo character. You want me to create the person I have to walk up to to tap an amiibo? Okay, I'll pick Rosalina. I don't care. Like, I'm not going to build these. They're not going to be my friends because, as you say, this isn't the 3DS. I don't have, like, a, already a library of Miis to work with. Right. As if I would have ever had that because I'm not a fucking con person. But um, I don't have this, like, library to work with. I have to create everything from scratch or just pick a pre-made one from, you know, the the Nintendo community writ large and it just, I just don't think, it feels like they didn't think this through. Yeah, it feels like they should have at least had an option to, like, I don't know. It, it Like, Metopia made more sense on the 3DS because even, like, when you make your 3DS profile in that, you make a me. Mm-hmm. Like, so, but when I made my Switch profile, like, making a me is totally optional. You know, so you, it seems like, like you said, um, they have to have another copy of Metopia, and it's like, 
what if my friend doesn't have Miitopia? What if, like, if the Mies were more, uh, like, regularly integrated into the Switch ecosystem, like, I could see a scenario where, like, okay, I'm gonna call from my friends list and get their Mies, like, that way. But it doesn't have that ecosystem there. What if I could cross-play with Xbox avatars? Okay, alright, I'm listening. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, you get the best part of that would be the fact that most people haven't touched their avatars in like a decade, and so you're getting someone in like a Mountain Dew shirt with a Master Chief helmet. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I think there are problems to that needed to be solved that were certainly hard to solve, but it doesn't feel like they tried. Um, I am not. I, I I will probably keep playing it out of there being nothing else and it being fairly inoffensive moment to moment. But so far, I'm really not impressed. Sure. Yeah, that's that's a shame. Like, I don't know something about Nintendo's recent uh, approach to, well, more like them leaving out all of their typical integration they built in through the Wii and the D- and the 3DS and all of that. Like, these interfaces used to feel livelier to the point where you could see some of those characters appearing in other games as either like um a joke custom character or just okay this game this game you can buy is gonna utilize this resource you already have but uh they've nintendo's been terrible at maintaining any of those sorts of infrastructures so well they just mm-hmm. dropped the me infrastructure almost entirely that's why it's so awkward to like make a me in smash brothers you know like they had to basically retrofit that stuff, you know, into Smash Brothers Ultimate. Yeah, and like something will do good for them, and then they just drop it. Like it's clear that we're not going to see a Ring Fit Adventure two, despite the first one selling gangbusters. We're not going to see any more stuff with Labo because they took down the Nintendo Labo site and uh, rebranded the game creation uh, video game they're going to release in a few months. Um, I don't know that Labo did that well. Okay, yeah, that's that's fair. Labo was an interesting experiment, but also there's a reason why everything was made from cardboard, because cardboard's cheap. <laughs> yeah, but, like, Ring Fit Adventure, like, they could do so much more with that Ring Con, and it's just going to be that one game now and forever. Yeah, yeah, that's probably yeah. true, and foolish. <sighs> I don't know, like, they... <sighs> I don't know. It's weird to think about modern Nintendo, like in general. Like I, it's mm-hmm. still like it's still it's such a petty thing, but it still sucks that like the Switch shop doesn't have like a cute little jingle like the Wii shop did. <laughs> it's like I don't know the like there was just something really fun about the Wii shopping channel, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just feel like in general, Nintendo stuff has had a dearth of personality lately. Like, even with something like Mario Tennis and Mario Golf, like, there's something to the way these things are presented now that feels so clinical and cold and, like, separated from the cutesy, sometimes off-putting, but they were going for it, charm they used to have. Hmm. Have you been up to anything cool, Kyrie? Want to talk about something that isn't cutesy at all? <laughs> that uh, is possibly. Um, I've been playing 
Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne HD Remaster. Okay. Kyrie has been making friends with devils. Yep, I've been making friends with devils. I mean, she already lives with one. What the hell do you want, Jen? (laughs) (laughs) There it is. Um... Yeah, I've been actually, I've been looking forward to this for a while, because SMT3 Nocturne, I've always heard, is like this really cool game, and um, I've been playing this on, you know, my Switch, Um, it is, it's six, you know, $50 for the base game, and there's some DLC that you can get, including getting Dante from Devil May Cry, because... Mm -hmm. Oh, they made that DLC, huh? Even though it was with the original release. Yeah, which I think interesting. Was, well, I okay. So, so well, before I get into that, yeah, <laughs> before I get into the Dante stuff, um, I guess I should explain a little bit about what Shin Megami Tensei Three Nocturne is. Sure. Yes. Um. So SMT Three Nocturne, um, starts at the end of the world. Uh, you are just playing this normal high school student that is just like doesn't even have like a doesn't even have like a canon name or anything um until you get to this hospital at one point and you find this ceo in the basement pontificating about the end of the world and you meet your teacher there and then your teacher is like uh check this shit out and you see this scene of tokyo folding in on itself like a sphere um, and this is like referred to as like the conception because they are trying to remake the world and you wake up reimagined as the Demi fiend. Um, and your objective, you know, kind of at the beginning of the game is to, um, well, kind of make you make your way through this new world, and eventually they basically imply that you are going to be the one that guides this new world um, and how it's created. I haven't really gotten that far in the game yet, but it is. Yeah, curious said, I don't know about all that, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> For now, you're just a shirtless boy uh, with a bunch of runes on his body uh, running around uh, Tokyo subway stations and fighting monsters. Yeah, fighting monsters and meeting people. You're trying to find, like, there were a couple of other humans in that hospital when um, Tokyo went all spherical. Um, So you're trying to find them. You're trying to meet your old friends and your teacher again. Um, But you meet a lot of you know, weird characters that are talking about, like, like I said, you know, leading this new world and the direction this new world would take. But for now, in the early stages of the game, I'm kind of just, I'm running around, I'm fighting monsters, I'm recruiting monsters, I just figured out how to do that, Mm. and um, trying to just get out and about and figure out what's going on with this new world um and so the whole so at the beginning of the game you do choose uh either um the you know a new game or new game of maniacs right so what they have done is in the western release of smt3 i think because you know atlas or whatever wasn't entirely sure 
um, this game was going to be a hit for mm-hmm. the United States and Europe. So they decided to replace a character from previous SMT games, Raida Kuzanoha. Um, Wait, with... you can't replace him. <laughs> they... He's the he's the dude with the old fashioned school uniform. He's the he's the like devil detective, the devil yeah. summoner. He's cool as shit. Yeah, Raida Kuzanoha is fucking badass, and they replaced him with Dante. <laughs> And that's why you get that sticker on the U.S. version. This is featuring Dante from Devil May Cry. Mm, That is a... mm, I don't know if that's an upgrade. That's really hard. Because, like, I like Dante. I like Devil May Cry. But... Rado Kuznoha the 14th, when he fought that soulless army, I felt that. (laughs) Yeah. I really want to play the Raida Kuzanoha games. Like, Raida Kuzanoha seems like such a cool character. So, for my first playthrough of this game, I actually decided to do the playthrough in which I would encounter Raida Kuzanoha. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And I've seen him I've seen him once so far. Um, he's like, hasn't spoken yet, but he is voiced by one of my favorite voice actors, uh, uh, Tomokazu Tsukida. So... I can't wait to hear him like talk or not talk that much. I don't know much about the Rido character, but he's a devil detective. It's so good. Uh, and most yeah. people, and the most common comment is, "Wow, you've got some sideburns." Like that's actual NPC dialogue. They're just like, <laughs> "Wow, those sideburns, huh?" <laughs> yeah, I wonder if this game does well enough if they think about like maybe porting the Rido Kuzunoha games and Digital Devil Saga to modern consoles. I mean, I feel like you should at least do just, like, PlayStation 2 classics or something. It seems easy enough. I mean... Yeah. I, the ones I'm talking about are PS2 games, and... Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so I'm really enjoying myself with um, Nocturne so far. Um, so Nocturne, you have... There are a couple caveats with this HD remaster. Um, so I believe the story is... They, Atlas had at one point lost the source code to um, SMT3. So a lot of it is just elements that they had to rip from the PS2 release. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are these pre-rendered cutscenes that you get that when it cuts to a pre-rendered cutscene, it goes to a, like a four by three screen with like fuzzy edges to fill in the 16 by 9 um the music uh, the battle music is kind of um midi and crunchy but i kind of dig it (laughs) like it's like you get used to it after a while like it sounds weird and distorted this did i say distorted like (laughs) This yeah, like he lost his lost his jorts. Yeah, lost his yeah. jorts. But it's weird John Cena would di- be mad. Mm-hmm. Weird and disjointed, and it's like it kind of captures the atmosphere of you're fighting these really weird devils and fiends and stuff, and also recruiting them. Like I figured out, they don't tell you this um, when you are selecting an action um, with either the devils that you do get or as the main character. Um, you hit right on the D-pad and you get a talk option. Um, some characters it's talk, others it's seduce, plead. Like, there's a variety of actions that you can do. And in order to bolster your party, like, you are just the demi-feed, like, by himself. So to bolster your party, you have to go to random encounters and 
talk to these demons in order to have them join your team. And demon negotiation can come in the form of you just give them money or items, um, but sometimes they'll ask you like a question that you have to answer. Mm -hmm. um, And you have to answer it to their satisfaction in order for them to join your team. Uh, Occasionally, you will also get moments in which the devils will uh, approach you. Um, They will like say, hey, you know, they're beaten down or like, hey, I don't want to fight anymore. Can I join your team? You know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Or at the beginning of the fight of like, hey, if I give you $122, will you just leave me alone? (laughs) Um, Which I can respect that. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, Yeah, it's pretty good. And the um, like there's a lot of personality like um you will be exploring these areas and you will see demons that you have fought in random battles before just sort of milling about and they're not battles you just talk to them and they just talk about normal things yeah so can you like run out of encounters then can you like oh i've convinced all of these demons and so now i can't there's nothing no one left to fight here um so random so battles are randomly generated Mm -hmm. um they are affected by phases of the moon. Um, like on the upper left part of the screen, you see moon phases, and that can determine certain aspects of like if demons are more willing to join your team or if you're going to get more encounter. Like there are occasionally encounters in which I get like only one monster, but other times it's like, oh, I got to fight six of them, right? And it's based upon like moon phases and also the random number generator. One but of the like. Go ahead. So, like, like for example, if you encounter a pixie, right, mm-hmm. and you convince pixie to join your team, does that mean you won't encounter pixie anymore, or are there lots of pixies and you just convinced one? You just convinced one. There are lots okay. of pixies. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you have just convinced one. Um, so, like, I convinced a Jack Frost to join my team, but there are many Jack Frosts. Um, and one thing that I think I that I really appreciate is your compass in the lower right part of the screen will change color uh, based upon how likely you are to get an encounter. Like, you know how in mm. Entry and Odyssey, they have like a little indicator to show that you're about to get a random encounter? Totally. Um, I really, like, they have that system here and I really appreciate that because I can look at the screen and be like, oh, I'm about to get an encounter. I should make sure I'm healed up. Um, or be like, oh, I'm about to get this treasure. I'm going to see if I can just push myself to get this treasure before the encounter pops. Um, you know, it's simple, but like, it makes the random encounters a little less frustrating. Occasionally you get like two or two battles, like back to back. And I think it's based on like, you know, at a full moon, like your it increases like demon rate. Or something. There's a lot of mysterious systems in this game, but I think that adds to it because you're supposed to be in this weird, confusing world that doesn't make it sense anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But it, and you, you know, much like with Persona Three, you don't have to necessarily have played um, Shin Megami Tensei One or Two to get what's going on because it's kind of telling its own story um and i am interested to see where the story goes right now it's a lot of 
weird events and characters kind of disjointed and, you know, not making a lot of connections to each other. But I imagine at some point, you know, I will run into my childhood friend and they will have a connection to the larger goings on in this world. Um, Yes, Jen? I was going to add in just in terms of like the way this is released, like to get everything in this game, you do need to pay $70. And uh, the way some of the stuff is communicated is um, poor. <laughs> yeah, it it varies per platform. So like on the PC version, um, which this isn't the case in any of the other versions, there's an option to just straight up not play with either Raido Kuznoha or Dante within the game. Like, it just says new game without communicating that that's what you're getting. Yeah, you want to, like, select new game. Um, what was it? It was, like, there's, like, you get three options on the Steam release. Um, like, new game, new game maniacs, and, like, one other um, game, uh, like, type. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, uh, again, $70 is a lot to ask for a game that's over 15 years old. And, uh, some of that goes to getting you, uh, dungeons to grind in that, uh, are very helpful in the late game. Right, because I have heard from reliable sources that, um, you know, like the Matador fight is legendary in terms of, it's difficulty spike, so I think they have added these dungeons to like help mitigate that. Like, here's a dungeon in which you could just grind your levels in. Um, mm. They also have a background music um, selection that lets you pick music from one, two, and four, I believe. Um, I forget exactly which uh, background tracks it has. Um, but you can change the music if you like. Um, the Maniacs pack includes, um, I think, the hardest difficulty and the ability to um, have Dante join your team. Um, so if you want to play the version that we got that has, you know, Dante from Devil May Cry, it's his Devil May Cry 2 appearance, I believe. Yeah, this um, was before 3, so. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to, like, keep the pricing in mind, when Atlas released uh, Persona 4 Golden on the PC last year, they only charged 20 bucks. So clearly they saw the response to that and they were like, oh, I guess we can just jack up the price for future releases, huh? <laughs> and that's how we're getting a $70 PS2 game in 2021 yeah but i think smt3 might be better than persona 4 so oh yeah i'm not saying in terms of quality i'm saying charging that amount for a game that old is kind of ludicrous especially when like you mentioned the music is uh not the best quality the overworld music is uh, i guess has been salvaged and it sounds fine um and they do have a widescreen presentation for most of the game like the in-engine cutscenes and stuff are all done in 16 by 9 and they also have redone the script um they have given the localization a new pass um which also leads to like a new english dub i believe um but it's the hmm. same japanese dub um from the original release uh, if i recall correctly um i don't know i think that it is a little bit expensive but it is a 
so far, I'm having a great time with it. I think it has a really interesting aesthetic. Um, I think the art is particularly strong. I mean, I just love um, uh, Kazuma Kaneko's like, art just in general, and I think it's really strong here in Shin Megami Tensei 3. Um, I think that... It has also helped that I've played like the modern Persona games so that I have a basic idea of like, okay, I know how demon fusions work. I know how some of these systems like kind of interact with each other, but it's still like the combat system in the game is still um, kind of basic um, JRPG stuff. Although there is, so you get these action points that you get to spend mm-hmm. and um they determine like it's like your party goes and then the enemy goes unless the enemy gets the jump on you and then they go first um but you have these action points to spend and you can spend half actions for like passing turns or um it's only half an action if you attack the weakness of a particular um demon but Mm. you lose two action points if your character um uh flops a roll (laughs) um so there is a little bit of danger in like just doing your standard attacks and stuff. Um, so the I think the turn-based stuff is really fun and interesting, um, and it is really cool to just recruit these demons and um, you know have them fight alongside you, and you get like interesting combo potential with um, you know just the types of demons you select. You know. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's just, I think it's really cool and worth um, checking out. Maybe wait for it to kind of go on sale if you're a little iffy on it. But if yeah, you like, go ahead. I said the one thing that is nice is unlike a lot of HD remasters, this did get a physical release. Um, and when you're doing a physical re-release, HD remaster of a niche PS2 RPG, at a certain point, stores are going to want to get rid of their stock of that so right so yeah look on you know keep a lookout for the physical releases of these games um but i think i think like the popularity of the persona games has made people interested in like previous smt games because like um three and four were even written out as like it this was also one and two like these were part of the shimigami tensei line and then persona kind of became its own thing Mm -hmm. um but I think it's really cool to see the elements that would make it into um, the modern Persona games, um, but it also has its own voice and identity, and it's really, really good. Um, I th- I'm really liking it so far. Awesome. Yeah, at this point, I definitely think like they have fully, fully diverged the uh, the SMT and Persona, you know, genre. I think you know, I think most people like they themselves dropped the moniker with with four golden, and I think four is kind of the point where they they cut their cut their ties. Even though five actually brings back like the negotiation, negotiation. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a much lighter version of Demon Negotiation in P5, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, the negotiations in uh, SMT3 are a little bit more, can be a little bit more involved, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It's good. 
And also, we just saw a flash of lightning, so I think it's oh. time to wrap up. <laughs> okay. Uh, I will. I will have more stuff to report on at a later date. I have. I have some things that I'm. I'm early going on. I'm checking out Mecha Ace, and also I want to talk about Knockout City at some point. But we're not quite there yet. So, and also, you know, lightning sort of implies yeah. the need for haste. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. I'll also be checking out the um patches that they've added, the updates for Monster Hunter Rise, and report back on that. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. All right. Well, Kyrie, where can people find you on the internet? If they find, would like to do so. If they want to find me on the internet, it's Kyrie A. Page on Twitter.com. And also, I'm the host of Ultimate Despair Reprise. You can find that at NewDespairCast on Twitter.com. I sure do despair. That's true. Mm-hmm. Despair. Uh, Jen, where can people find you? So you can find me at JBU3 on Twitter. Um, most of my stuff is on ScanlineMedia.com or Patreon.com slash ScanlineMedia. I also host Novel Not New, a True End podcast, which is a narrative gaming book club podcast. And you can find that at readinggames.online. Uh, and I'm Six Detmar. You can find me on Twitter at Six Detmar, S A X D E T T M A R. Um, I'm also scanlinemedia.com and patreon.com slash scanlinemedia. And fortunately for me, Jen and Kyrie have basically mentioned all the stuff that I do already. Um, I mean, you know, I could go into specifics, but, you know, it's, it's novel, not new, and then stuff on Scanline Media. So. Uh, check check those out. A lot of lot of stuff for you, I think. Unless yeah. you don't like any of it, in which case, I guess it's not for you. <laughs> sure. Uh, but uh, until next time, folks. Peace out. See ya later.